Hey guys, I want to welcome you to the Big Level Podcast. I hope you enjoy this message by Dr. Dusty Durbin. If you want to find out more information about this podcast or our other resources, please visit BigLevelBaptist.com. If you have your copy of God's Word with you tonight, and I hope that you do, let me invite you to turn with us to, uh, turn with me or us, yes, to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we are looking at verse 10, at least the first part of verse 10 tonight, uh, as we continue looking at the spiritual gift of uh, healing, which we looked at this morning, and the spiritual gift of miracles tonight. I, I thought about grouping these together along with prophecy because they kind of all three go hand in hand, but, but prophecy is a little bit different, and so we're going to address prophecy uh, in the future, uh, next, uh, next week actually. But um, I felt the need to group healing and miracles together because they are so closely un- uh, connected throughout the, the New Testament. Signs and wonders and healing would be performed as a sign uh, or credibility to, to those who were preaching the gospel. We, we looked at the purpose of healings this morning, and the purpose was to give authority to uh, the messenger so the messenger could preach Jesus. Now, I'm sure there are theologians who have a better way of, of, of putting that than, than I do, uh, but, but that's, that, that's at the end of the day, that's the purpose. Now, I, I want to be clear, though. I, I, Maybe I didn't make the point this morning that, that I wanted to, along with that. When we think about healing, while the purpose of the healing was most definitely uh, to give credibility and to uh, be a platform for preaching Jesus, I don't want to minimize the fact that it reveals who's in control of even illnesses. That's important for us to remember. God is in control of creation. We see that when he created all things. We see Jesus de- de- telling the, the waves and the wind to cease, right? And it ceased. Uh, it went from raging seas to, to clear as glass at the command of God because God is in control of nature. He's sovereign over nature. Uh, but God is also sovereign over illnesses. And God is also sovereign over death. And we can't miss that in Scripture. Jesus heals the sick. Gives sight to the blind. He tells a paralytic man to walk. He tells a man named Lazarus, who was dead for four days in a grave, to come out. It reveals the sovereignty of our God. And so that leads us then tonight to the gift of miracles. Look at what it says in, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10. He says, to another, the performing of miracles. That leads us to ask the question, what is a miracle? What is a miracle? Well, as you search definitions, and I've done so the past couple of weeks, the the best definition of miracle that I have found comes from John MacArthur in his commentary on, on 1 Corinthians. And this is how John MacArthur defines miracles. He says, a miracle is an act of God that is contrary to the ordinary working and laws of nature. And Act that an act that only he could accomplish by overruling nature that could not otherwise occur through any circumstance. Let me read that one more time so you get it. 
A miracle is an act of God that is contrary to the ordinary working and laws of nature, an act that only he could accomplish by overruling nature and that, that could not otherwise occur through any circumstances. Here's, here's, here's how I, in my own words, sum up what he says. A miracle is a supernatural act of God that only God can do. It's only, it's only something God can do. Right? Even those who perform signs and wonders, miracles in the, in, the, in, the, in the early church throughout the book of Acts, they did so under the authority and power of God. And the miracles and the signs and the wonders that were performed was done so by God himself, not them. Miracle, a miracle is something that only God can do. When we think about that, it has to, we bring ourselves back to the, to the scriptures. Where do we see miracles performed in the scriptures? Well, you go back to the book of Exodus. It was one of my fir the first places I would go to. And in, in the story of God sending plague after plague after plague up on the, on the Egyptians because Pharaoh would not allow uh, Israel to leave. The first couple of plagues, the magicians were able to accomplish. And we can have that discussion later of why that took place. But as you get into the latter part of the plagues, what happens? Even the magic magicians couldn't perform those. Why? Because they were, they were plagues that only God can do. That, that in and of itself is a supernatural work of God, right? Or what about the Israelites walking on dry ground as they fled the Egyptians? That's a supernatural work of God. That is a miracle, is it not? Dry ground, water splits, walls of water. And instead of being muddy, Scripture calls it dry land. How about water from a rock? Water from a rock. Now, Many estimate there was 1.5 to 2 million people, give or take, Israelites. There was enough water that came from a rock. You say, well, preacher, it, must have, it could have been a mountain. Or it, the size of the rock doesn't matter. It could have been a pebble. And God made water flow from a rock that quenched the thirst of millions of people. And not just the people, but even the animals, their livestock. That is a miracle. That is a supernatural work of God that Moses himself could not perform. He was the spokesman, and he was following in obedience to God, but Moses could not make that rock pour forth water. That's a work of God. Here's another one. Now you may say, well, preacher, this really isn't a miracle. You define it how you want, but it's a supernatural work of God that no one else could cause to happen. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 22. Numbers chapter 22. I'll always found this story very interesting. Now we're not going to get into the context of, of what's happening in Numbers 22 with, with Balaam and, and Balak and, and, and why God was, was, was uh, sending the angel of the Lord. But in this moment... There's something miraculous that happens. Listen to the story, beginning in verse 22 of Numbers 22. It says, But God was incensed that Balaam was going, and the angel of the Lord took his stand on the path to oppose him. Balaam was riding his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing on the path with a drawn sword in his hand, 
He turned off, or excuse me, she turned off the path and went into the field. No, no, stop right there. Balaam did not see this angel of the Lord. This donkey saw that. Now, don't overlook that because we're going to, sometimes we get to the part where, where what's, what's fixing to come, but, but this angel, but God made it to where this donkey could see this angel of the Lord. That's interesting. That's interesting. Keep, keep going. Verse 24, then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow passage between the vineyards when a, with a stone wall on either side. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord, pressed his, herself against the wall, squeezing Balaam's foot against it. So he hit her once again. The angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was, room, where there was no room to turn to the right or the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she crouched down under Balaam. So he became furious and beat the donkey with a stick. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and she asked Balaam, what have I done to you that you have beaten me these three times? Now, now you can go on and read this conversation, but a man has a conversation with a donkey. No horse whisper or dog whisper could ever communicate with an animal like that. But God opens the mouth of this animal. So this animal speaks. In order, really, God was directing Balaam. This was God sovereignly working in this situation. It was a miraculous moment, a supernatural, something supernatural that only God can do. Then you get to the New Testament. Turn with me to, to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, we see another miracle, really the first miracle that we see mentioned of Jesus. And we also see, see what happens when Jesus performs this miracle. But in John chapter 2, listen to what happens. John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, On the third day a wedding took place in Canaan of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. What does, what does that have to do with, with you and me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. Don't, don't underestimate that statement. And then verse 5, do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now, six stone jar, water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some, some out and take it to the head waiter. And they, said, and they did. When the head waiter tested the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servant who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, everyone sets out the fine wine first. Then after people are drunk, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Je Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Canaan of Galilee. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now there's some question of why was this the first miracle and why this place. But here's the fact. Jesus took water and he didn't turn it into the cheap stuff. He turned it into the best of wines. Wines that people would have put out ahead of time so everybody would get drunk on and they could pull it and give out the, wor the, 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 the worst. This is a supernatural work of God over the laws of nature, is it not? And no mere man can perform these miracles. It was a work of God. You go to Matthew 14. 
said, Preacher, you're, you're giving a lot of proof text for miracles. Well, I am. Because we need to see in Scripture what this looks like. Look in Matthew 14. You really see two miracles in this text. The first, listen what happens. I'll paraphrase it for you, okay? The first, Jesus Jesus is, is pulled aside. Some people, he's, he's on a boat, he's leaving, and people come to him, and they, uh, he teaches. And, and then it's getting dark, or it's getting late, and his, his disciples say, listen, these people are, are, are it's getting late. Let them go out so they can buy them something to eat. And what does Jesus tell them? No, let them stay. We'll feed them. And listen to their response. Verse 17, but we only have five loaves and two fish here, they said to him. Now, can you imagine, you get down, it says, uh, at the end of verse 21, it says, now those who ate were more than, uh, were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Okay, so 5,000 men. By the time you add the women and the children, you're looking somewhere around 15,000, give or take, people at this event. Okay? Five loaves and two fish. But look at verse 18. Bring them here to me, he said. Then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish. Looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of leftovers. This is a work of God that no one else can perform. He took five loaves of bread and two fish, and he fed thousands of people. Brothers and sisters, when we think about miracles, we must remember that miracles are a supernatural work of God that no mere man can perform. You say, well, what about we see in, in Acts? You know, you go to Acts chapter 5 and Acts chapter 14 and Acts chapter 8, and it, it tells us that, that signs and wonders were being performed by the apostles and by, by Philip and, and, and by others. And, and here's what we see. We don't know what those miracles were. The, in Acts, it doesn't give us an account of exactly what they were performing. But what we do know is that God was allowing them to perform signs and wonders for this purpose. So they could preach Jesus. So people would listen. The question that I want us to ask ourselves tonight, miracles, miracles are, are, are a supernatural work that only God can do. But the question we really want to ask tonight, and it goes with healing and it goes with miracles, and, and it's this. Do miracles and do healing, the gift of a miracle and the gift of healing, exist today? Everybody wants to know that question, right? And you ready for the answer? I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to, oh, preacher, what? I'm going to tell you to go search it. But let me give you the interpretations that are out there. And let me say this first. God most definitely still heals today. God has not ceased and being the ultimate physician. He has not ceased in still being a sovereign, holy, perfect God who still works. The number of stories of people who have been diagnosed and then they go to the doctor and that diagnosis is gone. Some people may sweep it under the rug. I don't sweep it under the rug. I believe God still works today. He still heals. The question isn't, does God still heal? The question isn't, does God still do miracles? The question is, is there a gift still active today, the gift of healing and the gift of miracles? 
There are two really groups, uh, views that are out there, okay? Now, you may fall in one of these two, or you may find yourself kind of in the middle, not sure. And that's okay. It's okay. The question is, just know why you believe what you believe. The first group is the group we call the cessationist. Cessationist. Cessationists believe that certain spiritual gifts no longer exist in today's time. They argue that after the apostolic error, that uh, through the apostolic error, the scriptures were still being written, and the sign gifts were for them to give them credibility so that they could preach the gospel. People would listen. It would give them authority. And now that the scriptures are written... We have the completed scriptures. We don't need the signs and the wonders. We just open up the pages of scripture and we read what the word of God declares. The, the gifts that they would say, those who hold to cessationist or cessationism, that they believe the gifts of, hear, of, of healing, the gifts of miracles, the gifts of tongues and prophecy, they, they are all, they've all ceased. They, they, they've stopped under the, the uh, after the apostolic era. Now, when I define prophecy, there's, there's two ways to define prophecy, and I don't want to dig deep into this because we're going to be looking at it next week, but, but here's, here's a little bit. Uh, prophecy not in the sense of forth-telling, right? Prophecy in the forth-telling is taking the Scriptures and declaring what it says. Uh, prophecy in the sense of, of foretelling is what they would say no longer exists. That, that's, that's when God gives a special revelation to a person and that person takes that special revelation and then tells it to somebody else or to a group of people. There's two types of revelation, and I'm getting into next week's sermon, but, but it's important to go with this tonight. Uh, there's two types of revelation. There's general revelation. That general revelation is what we see out in creation, right? You look out in the trees and the, and, and the sun and the moon and the stars, and you see that God has revealed himself to us, Romans chapter 1. Then there's special revelation. Special revelation was when God would appear to a prophet and he would give him a word to declare to the people, okay? Well, cessationists will say that God no longer appears to people to give a specific revelation or special revelation. He's given us special revelation, the Bible. And what we need to preach is what the word of God says, okay? I don't want to be confusing. If you have questions, stop me, okay, and ask. I, I, we can do that. So, so the cessationists will say, since the, the apostles passed away, and no one today can be a po an apostle according to Acts chapter 1, these sign gifts no longer exist. Now, a passage of Scripture that, that a cessationist will, will hold to, now the hinge of the cessationist view is not this passage, it's a passage. The hinge is the apostolic ministry, Okay. Uh, turn turn to, to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. We're going we're gonna to look really at verse 8 and 9, but, but I want to start in verse 1. 1 Corinthians 13. He says, If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Noisy gong, clanging cymbal, he's alluding there to uh, idolatry. Uh, the idol worshipers would make a whole lot of noise. And so he's saying, if I, if I, speak, if I speak in some form, whether it's, it's tongues or, or languages or if it's, it's, if it's a human language, but I don't love, 
It's useless. Whatever I have to say is empty. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Side note, the reason what drives our service using our gifts for the glory of God is a love for God and a love for people. When we love God and we love people, we will seek to serve using the gifts he's given us for his glory. Okay? So, so drop down then to verse 8. Verse, verse 4 through verse 7 define love. Verse 8 says, love never ends. Brothers and sisters, there will never be a time when love ceases whether here or in eternity. God's love for us is unconditional and it's eternal. Now listen to what he says. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. Now, here is where the tension lies. What is the perfect? There's two ways of defining this term perfect. Those who hold to the cessationist view that, that gifts have, no, have ceased will define the perfect as the completed word of God. Okay, Those who do not hold to the cessationist view will define the perfect as the second coming of Jesus. That when Jesus comes back, then all of these things will cease. There'll be no need for tongues or no need for prophecy or no need for healing and so forth. Both of those arguments are biblical. They're biblical. What do you mean? Well, both have a leg to stand on in Scripture. And the truth of the question is, do tongues and do, do these gifts cease or not? The truth is, Scripture isn't black and white. Scripture isn't clear of whether they do or they do not. And so we have to do our best to interpret understanding that this is one of those tertiary, third-tier doctrines that we don't divide over as long as it doesn't affect the gospel. Okay? It's a third-tier doctrine. And so the cessationists will say then, these gifts are no longer needed. We need to preach the Word of God and let the Word of God speak for itself. Which at the end of the day, the word of God is inerrant and infallible, authoritative and sufficient, is it not? So then what's the other view? Well, the other view then will be the continuationist. The continuationist will say these gifts still exist today. And that people can still prophesy. That God still gives a special revelation. And, and they can go and they can prophesy. Or people can still go and heal others. Or they can perform miracles. And you have differing degrees of those who are continuationists. You have some that are very extreme. And we, we can see those on TV, right? Come to this event. Come down the aisle. We'll hit you and you're healed, right? We see that extreme. And, and we all can agree. That, that, that's not how it works in Scripture. That's not how we see healing performed in Scripture. That, that's just not a biblical mode. Okay, But then you have the others, and this is where most of those that I know of, especially in our tent of Southern Baptist Convention, that hold to continuationists, they will be a cautious continuationist. Cautious continuationist. Say, what is a cautious continuationist? Well, these are those who may believe that the gifts still are active, but are not broadly active. 
right? Maybe they're active in a country where the gospel has not, has not been, and there's no Bible, uh, or there's somebody there that's preaching, and, and, and God gives them the ability to, to, to speak in tongues as a sign, or, or heal, or uh, prophesy, or, or, or do a miracle to, to, to gain credibility to preach the gospel. Not that it's widely active, but it continues. Again, they go back, and they would define the perfect as the second coming of Jesus, Right Now, those who argue against the perfect in 1 Corinthians 13 being the second coming of Jesus could say, but Jesus has already come, and Paul would have used similar language that he did in, in 1 2 Thessalonians when he talks about the second coming of Christ. But he doesn't use the same language that he does when he talks about the coming of Christ. He uses the word perfect. And so how do we, how do we reach a conclusion? The continuationists, though, at least those that we would fall under the Southern Baptist camp, and that's who I'm going to talk about, uh, would, would say that while these gifts exist, they, they are not for everybody, right? Not everybody is going to have the gift of healing, and not everybody's going to have the gift of prophecy, or not everybody's going to have the gift of miracles, not everybody's going to have the gift of tongues. And they get that from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 which says, now, you are the body of Christ and individual members of it, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, various kinds of tongues. Are all prophets, excuse me, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all do miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in other tongues? Do all interpret? But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. Paul never once gives an answer here, but his answer is implied. And the implied answer is no. Not everybody has, has every gift. And so while those who hold to continuationists will argue that these gifts are still active, most of them, very, at least in our camp, very cautious with that, will, will say, but not everybody has it. Brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, whichever interpretation you hold to, it's okay. Just know why you hold to that. If you're a cessationist, just know why you're a cessationist. Have a biblical grounds for it. If you're a continuationist, just know why you are a continuationist. What's the biblical grounds? And know it's okay. If you really want to know my interpretation, I'd be glad to share with you personally. I'm not going to teach my interpretation here because at the end of the day, it really, really doesn't matter if it doesn't affect the gospel. Then it goes from being a, a third-tier tertiary doctrine to being a first- or second-tier doctrine. And that's where we have problems. But does God still do miracles today? Does he still heal today, whether the gifts of healing exist or not? Absolutely. God still heals. And God still does miracles. And if you're a believer today, you're a prime example of God still doing miracles. Because your salvation could not be obtained in and of yourself. It was a work of God from beginning to end. As one author says, he saved you by himself, from himself, for himself. You responded in faith. And if you're true and honest with yourself, you look at your life and you realize, yeah, it's a miracle God saved me. I deserve the punishment and wrath of God. 
but in his grace, he gave me new life. The gifts of healing and the gifts of miracles were very much active in the New Testament. And are they active today or are they not? I would love to hear your opinion. Uh, and I would be glad to share with you my opinion outside of a teaching moment. But no, God still heals. Me.